expect this to be a great atmosphere. Probably the best we've ever had. You know, I, with this possibly being the last game in the Coliseum, that's weird to me. This is home. You know, this I was drafted here. I played on this dirt. You know, I got a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Broke bones out there. Won some great games. You know, had some memories. Um, you know, and it's weird to think that this could possibly be the last game. I don't want that. I know I don't. I know our fans don't. So. But the fact that it could possibly be, I think that it's going to be a great atmosphere. When you think about all the great games, all the Hall of Fame players, um, all the memories that, you, that I've accumulated for five years in that stadium. You know, it's a special place to me, and it always will be. Here we go. It's time for another episode of Vegas Nation. I'm your host, Heidi Fang, and joined, as always, with Review Journal's Raiders beat writer, Michael Gelkin. Raider fans, it's time to look at our week ahead this could be very well the last game for the Raiders in Oakland. That's this week on Monday Night Football, the Christmas Eve game. It could, again, be the last time the Raiders play in Oakland. We'll get into that as well as talk about some Pro Bowl snubs. And we've also got some news to get in. And we'll recap last Sunday's loss to the Bengals and preview this week's game against the Broncos. Michael is our insider on the scene in Oakland. So I ask you, Michael, how high is the percentage right now that the Raiders play outside of Oakland in 2019? Well, that's a great question, Heidi. It, I think I view it more of the odds that the Raiders will be in the Bay Area next year. And although I would be lying if I was to insinuate in any sense that I know the Raiders' exact thinking when it comes to this and how they are evaluating their contingency options to the open Alameda County Coliseum, you know, given the possibility that playing there would seem to have shrunk following the city of Oakland's federal antitrust lawsuit a week ago, I would still say that probability is high that the Raiders stay in the Bay Area next season in some form. I don't know what that looks like in terms of which stadium, which facility venue it'll be. Um, I, I do think that ideally, you know, there's no question that the Raiders hoped it to be the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum where they've you know, played for 40 seasons in the franchise's history. But it does just become complicated with the lawsuit. And given the political landscape, I think it remains to be seen where exactly they will play. But um, I, I think they want to stay close. I don't think they want 16 road games a year. And so, they, they, you know, they have to at least sacrifice one home game to the international slate. But those other seven regular season games, they would want to be in the Bay Area, ideally. So I think their options probably start there. If they can pull that off, I think that's what they'll do. Do you think they might go the college route, like going up to Cal, uh, you know, Berkeley or something, using their stadium or, or Stanford's, or would they maybe go do something like what the New York teams do in terms of timesharing, like going out to Levi Stadium and working out some sort of schedule where they play when the Niners aren't there at Levi Stadium or something? Would you think either of those would be likely scenarios? Both scenarios that the Raiders haven't ruled out. They've publicly, certainly, they've said that all options are, are on the table. And when asked specifically about both of those specific options that you mentioned, yeah, that's uh, also in the, in the umbrella of, you know, it's on the table. And so what that really means in terms of the hierarchy of this is our option A and B and C, you know, that we, we don't know. Um, I take a little solace knowing that, you know, for months uh, we've been talking about, you know, so many have been talking about, you know, where will the Raiders be next year? 
And we didn't have an answer. And I think part of the reason we didn't have an answer is because the Raiders didn't have an answer either. They didn't know where they were going to be playing next year. I'm not convinced today that the Raiders for sure know where they're going to be in 2019. But I would think before the Super Bowl comes in early February, the Raiders need to figure that out. You know, they need the NFL needs to know they're constructing a schedule. Uh, They need to know where this franchise is going to call home it it matters in terms of scheduling and so uh, we're gonna have an answer soon enough and we don't have one uh, in all likelihood because the Raiders still don't have one well for now we're going to have to treat this Monday night football game as possibly again the Raiders last in Oakland as you said the political landscape being uh, a, a bit difficult right now for the team to work with the city of Oakland that lawsuit that they're involved in it seems like oakland is really trying to make sure that they get their 80 million for renovations done to the oakland alameda county coliseum so there's that lawsuit and then on top of that the team's lease is up so it's a very difficult type atmosphere to lock in anything so there's still that doubt looming over this being the raiders last game and if it is they are playing the broncos again and we will get into that a bit later but uh, i wanted to talk about the pro bowl we heard the uh, teams and players that were announced just last week and for the raiders nobody made it into the pro bowl nobody was selected i know this was a big deal for jared cook he had spoken to you michael and we had him on the vegas nation podcast as talking about this season for him was about making that Pro Bowl. He did make it as an alternate, but obviously not what he was hoping for. With the numbers that he's put up and being right now the fourth tight end overall, and when you look at the top tight ends in the NFL, he is number four right now and no Pro Bowl. Um, Also, you had uh, Rodney Hudson, a center offensive lineman for the Raiders, not making it. He is an alternate. And the guard, uh, Kalechi Osemele, he didn't make it, but again, an alternate. And there's only a couple other teams that did not have any Pro Bowlers in the AFC. It's just the Raiders and the Bills. So have you been able to talk to anybody, Michael, since the um, announcements came out about who made the Pro Bowl? And what, what are the feelings, particularly from Jared Cook, if you know anything about how he may be reacting to the situation? I mean, these guys lose some money, bonuses for not getting into the Pro Bowl. No doubt, by not being voted to the Pro Bowl in its original roster, and should either Rodney Hudson or Jared Cook you know, appear at the Pro Bowl, they won't get this money. But if they'd been voted into the original roster, they would have gotten uh, significant money uh, in their contract as as incentives. And so for Rodney Hudson, that would have been $100,000. For Jared Cook, would have been $250,000. And so the Pro Bowl, we often joke about the process and the voting and the snubs and the game doesn't matter. Well, $250,000 sure means a whole lot. And as you mentioned from our conversation with Jared Cook, being associated with the Pro Bowl, you know, Pro Bowl tied in Jared Cook, that's something that Cook said was always a childhood dream of his. You know, he wanted to be seen in that light. And given that he had his best NFL season in year 10 of his career, there was a lot of buildup to the possibility of being voted to the Pro Bowl. I spoke to him on the morning of the evening announcement and so several hours before word became public that he wasn't going in and we 
Um, I don't know if, if Jared at that point knew whether or not he had been selected, but he was bracing himself for the disappointment. He said that after the fan voting, and it's one-third fan vote, one-third coaches, and one-third players in terms of Pro Bowl ballot formation, the or Pro, Pro Bowl roster formation, you, um, he was seventh in the fan voting. And so he was pretty buried. Um, and he, I think he just figured from that that it wasn't going to end well. Uh, so we'll um, I'll have a chance to talk to Jared later this week. But um, I know he's disappointed about not being a Pro Bowler. He's pretty bitter about the whole process, which he has reason to. I mean, it's a popularity contest. You can't really say that Travis Kelsey, though, didn't deserve to be a Pro Bowler. Right. Eric Ebron of the Indianapolis Colts, he was the other one who was chosen in favor of Cook. Cook's numbers overall are better across the board. Ebron, of course, has double-digit touchdowns. I believe he leaves the NFL in that respect as among tight ends. And so he's had a fantastic year in his first season with Indianapolis. It's one heck of a story. I think ultimately what it comes down to is Ebron, you know, Kelsey, although you know Kelsey deserved his own right, but still, they play for better teams. And so when it comes to Pro Bowl snubs and being overlooked, if your roster, uh, if your team is 3-11, you can expect to be disappointed in the number of players uh, that are selected to a Pro Bowl from that squad. And so for the first time since 2003, the Raiders do not have a Pro Bowler. And again, uh, that costs a couple guys, certainly, uh, financially. One, one quick add is Coletio Simile. Even though he's missed multiple games with toe injury, with knee injury, uh, he's really uh, hasn't been able to have the season he would want personally. Um, he was somewhat surprisingly selected to the Pro Bowl as an alternate. And so um, it kind of can go both ways sometimes where it's about name recognition and not necessarily the season that you're having. And Jared Cook, you mentioned his numbers. He's got 848 receiving yards on the season, six touchdowns. Again, that ranks fourth among NFL tight ends. And you talk about Rodney Hudson, and this man has really – dominated when it comes to being an all-pro center. And I looked up some stats here on Pro Football Focus, and it says that he has not surrendered a single sack since week one of 2015, and that's over 2,500 snaps. I just can't fathom how he's not there. It's it's crazy to me, um, but I guess if it's any consolation to them, I am in the championships in my fantasy football league, and I really need a good tight end. So I have uh, Jared Cook. He's a free agent. Somebody dropped him. I have no idea why. He's owned in 94% <laughs> of leagues, according to what I'm looking at, and, uh, and, and he's available. I think I should pick him up and play him this week. Last home game, he's going to be looking to finish strong, Michael. <laughs> no doubt. He's been playing angry pretty much all season. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that we'll try to finish strong for you, Heidi. Yeah, so I'll, I'll look out for uh, Jared Cook here to do some big things for me. Um, and other moves this week with the Raiders, they've signed a number of players and also promoted some people from the practice squad. Uh, somebody you wrote about just uh, the other day, Michael, that being Wednesday, uh, was Nathan Peterman from the Bills, now signing as a quarterback for the Raiders. Uh, it's an interesting signing to me this late in the game. Uh, what can you tell us about him coming into the fold with the Raiders and the need for another quarterback here? So he's a practice squad quarterback, and so that's probably – first thing that we should emphasize is this isn't somebody who's expected to pick up the playbook. He's not expected to compete with anybody. 
uh, really. Um, for, but he's more here to be another arm on the practice field, help the offense, or pardon me, the opposing defense prepare for an upcoming opponent, which we know is the Denver Broncos on Monday Night Football, Christmas Eve. And so he won't be in uniform for that game. Um, you know, but it's more about the week leading up. And so he'll have six practices in two weeks. He'll probably sign a reserve future contract, which means that he'll be on the roster when the Raiders reconvene in April for the start of their spring workout program. But you know, this isn't, you know, I would say it's a high profile signing, but it's not a high profile opportunity right away. There's not as much pressure on Peterman as there was when he stepped into the full with the Buffalo Bills, a 2017 fifth round pick who was thrust into action and in his very first start he throws zero touchdowns yes five interceptions against the los angeles chargers and it was just the situation there uh was uh, it, i think it was it was too much and probably wasn't conducive to his personal success and so he'll he'll step into an nfl roster again but not be stepping into the limelight as much and he'll have a chance over the course of these coming months to learn john Grimm's offense and we'll see he could compete with aj mccarron mccarron on the third day of the league year, which is March 16th in terms of the third day. Um, actually, pardon me, it's the 15th. The league year is the 13th uh, of March. Uh, so on the 15th, if A.J. McCarron is still on the Raiders roster, they have to give him a $3 million roster bonus. If he's on the roster a couple of days later, he also would receive $1.1 million of his $1.9 million salary for 2019 have it be fully guaranteed. So essentially $4.1 million guaranteed goes into McCarron's pocket if he is on the Raiders roster on March 17th. And so even though we talk about, you know, it is a practice squad and, you know, what this opportunity is for Nathan Peterman, there is a chance that he could outlast A.J. McCarron here with the Raiders. But again, that is dependent upon him impressing in these couple weeks of practice and being signed to reserve future contract. And then if the Raiders don't restructure AJ McCarron's deal, um, they will have a hard uh, decision to make in terms of uh, someone they traded a fifth round pick for uh, maybe moving forward from him. And he's somebody that they would definitely have to mold. Uh, he really hasn't showed yet that he's got much pro uh, under the helm. One passing touchdown, su- a sex- successful touchdown, excuse me, and seven interceptions to his name on this season. So uh, there would be a lot there to really work with and mold and to shape and to grow. <laughs> it would be, I guess, one way to put it uh, if he's going to compete for that role. Um, and uh, Nathan Peterman just, you know, when I saw him with the Bills, it looked like he was frantic under center. So I don't know if Gruden can take this guy and shape him, but it'd be quite a project here to uh, for the Raiders to uptake. <laughs> Yeah, but if you're Nathan Peterman, at least you're getting stability. You know, he sure. was looking at a d- number of options in free agency, the Eagles, um, the, the Washington Redskins, and told had a lot of interest in him. But you know, the Redskins with John Gruden's brother Jay, you know, there are rumors about his future in Washington and the likelihood that you know he's there much longer. And so, you know, you know, John Gruden will be in place for a very long time here in Oakland, and so um, for the Raiders, and so that was part of the attraction for Nathan is at least he'll be in the same offense and have some measure of stability to give himself a chance. But you're right. There are, there are some serious questions based on how things look in Buffalo about 
whether or not he can be an NFL caliber quarterback. He has a lot to prove. Derek Carr remains without an interception right now. Again, nine straight games without having thrown an interception. He surpasses Rich Gannon, who did that in 2001. Well, he won seven games in 2001. So Derek Carr right now, a big bright spot for the Raiders. And they did have a few in their loss, other bright spots. For instance, you look at the Titans, Darren Waller, Lee Smith, both coming through, huge for the team. Daniel Carlson converting on three field goals. Jordy Nelson even had, you know, six receptions for 88 yards. Despite there being this makeshift O-line and Derek Carr being sacked five times in that game, I think there were some things that you can see with the Raiders team that were finally coming together. Uh, However, again, another loss in Cincinnati, um, some big opportunities that they couldn't capitalize on. Michael, what did you take away from this week in Cincinnati where the Raiders fell to the Bengals? Well, it was the end of a very interesting week um, for the Raiders. Um, I think offensively, they, I think offensively, the, the Bengals certainly showed themselves to be missing some of their key pieces. And I think it's important to highlight who the Bengals were missing because I'm about to talk about who the Raiders were missing. But you looked at the Bengals team without Andy Dalton, without AJ Green. You know, the, the quarterback play for Cincinnati it certainly looked like a backup in terms of Jeff Driscoll and, and just his erratic accuracy. I mean, he struggled putting the ball on point uh, through, really throughout the game and, and really struggled after Tyler Boyd, his top wide receiver, exited in the second quarter with an MCL injury. And so I think it speaks to the state of the Raiders' offense that they couldn't outscore the Bengals. They really struggled to protect Derek Carr. You mentioned the five sacks. Where you had Denzel Good, that right guard, started in place of Gabe Jackson, who since has been placed on injured reserve with a significant left elbow injury. And then on left guard, you had Chaz Green starting for Coleccio Semele, who missed his second straight game with a toe injury. And these are two guys who hadn't played offensive snaps all season for the Raiders. Chaz Green was making a season debut. Denzel Good had appeared a bit, uh, but really as a tackle and not a guard. He had neither of these. Uh, players have played guard in, in an NFL regular season game since 2017. And so um, it was a pretty dire situation. And I think the Raiders did their best to manage it. But they, uh, when coupled with the protection issues from left tackle Colton Miller, which was something of a surprise, he's struggling with his technique in protection. Um, you know, he's a young player who's going to have a chance to really grow this offseason. But um, it just wasn't. Uh, with the type of offensive performance that the Raiders needed. Um, so th- I think that even though the Bengals weren't uh, stout on on offense, uh, the combination of the Raiders' inadequacies with special teams issues uh, was enough to do them in. And for the Raiders, I guess you could look at it, if you're being optimistic, you can say, well, this kind of put them in line to get somebody like Nick Bosa next year at the number two spot uh, right now is where the Raiders stand. Of course, things still have to kind of settle out with the rest of the season. But as of right now, if they were to draft and the season ended today, they would have the number two pick. So uh, that is something, I think, positive for the Raiders. There's a few quarterbacks in this draft uh, for 2019, but I think that Nick Bosa would be the guy that the Raiders would definitely keep their eye on and see if they can't uh, finagle some way to get him. But as as we know, they're not tanking, Michael. This season, they are not tanking. The Raiders not giving up. Um, 
we have, again, the Broncos on Monday Night Football with the team. And uh, the last time that they played, it was a 20-19 to 19 game. They played in Denver. Uh, Raiders lost on a last-minute field goal by the Denver Broncos. But the Broncos right now are uh, officially eliminated from the playoffs. And the Raiders come into this game, uh, I think, wanting to put up a good showing if it is, in fact, their last game in Oakland, as we've talked about. Uh, is there any update right now on some of the guys that suffered through injuries? I know Gary on Connolly was one of them. Do you have any update right now on whether or not he will make uh, this game? Will he be available to play? I think he's still in concussion protocol, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he is still in concussion protocol, and it's really hard to project when a player, when his brain will heal enough in order to you know, exit that said protocol. And so um, for now, we um, don't know whether or not the Raiders will have their top cornerback available Sunday. So between Gary on Conley playing or dealing with the concussion and cornerback Daryl Worley has been fighting through a torn labrum since mid season against the Colts. Uh, it just, there's a lot. Um, there, it's not an ideal situation needless to say for the Raiders secondary. So uh, we'll see how they can fare against Case Keenum and company. Uh, but it's um, probably would be a bit, you know, I, I don't. It would be a bit disingenuous to paint this game on Christmas Eve as really about football. I mean, it, the stakes could be a lot higher anyway. Um, I think the surrounding circumstances of what the stadium is going to feel like, what the parking lot is going to be like pre-game. I mean, those probably are going to be what people remember uh, from this game is just uh, a chance to relive, you know, decades of of Oakland Raiders football. Given this could be the last time that theoretically the Raiders are playing at home in the Bay Area. Uh, it's possible, even if unlikely. So um, I was there a few years ago when the Chargers in 2015 uh, were playing what could have been their final home game in San Diego, their final game, really, in San Diego. And I remember how emotional that was for fans who were crying in the parking lot. I mean, I talked to one Chargers fan who, had season tickets, and he and his dad never could get along. They were always at each other's throats. They just never saw eye to eye. But ten games a year, preseason, regular season, they had season tickets, and that's kind of the what kind of kept them together was was Chargers football in San Diego, and seeing that guy's face before that game and seeing what it meant to him. Ultimately, you know, an emotional game it was, and and players like safety Eric Weddle, who stayed on the field a couple hours after the game, just signing photos and. And or signing picture, you know, signing whatever you could, and, and taking photos with, with fans. You had you just that emotion. You didn't know whether or not it was going to be the last game. And then next year, it turns out they would stay another season, their final year. And so that very well could be what this is: is that it's going to be an emotional goodbye because you have to treat it like that. And then next year, who knows? Perhaps we're doing this all over again, and it won't quite be as emotional because you've already said goodbye once. Um, but I think this initial goodbye. And perhaps the only goodbye uh, will be emotional, and so it, it's uh, not to bring it back to that, but it's pretty. It's hard to get it amped up about what's happening between these two football teams from a pure, you know, what's that? What's at stake in terms of playoff scenarios and, and that sort of thing? We're talking more about player development, competing, fighting, and then really uh, savoring this final game. And I will actually be out there with Ed Graney, our sports columnist here at the Review Journal, and he and I are actually planning on going through the parking lot and talking to some of the fans uh, ahead of the game and seeing what their perspective is on this 
game here with the uh, Raiders Christmas Eve so and what their feelings are on whether or not this is their last game so we'll be out there covering everything for you from beginning to the very end I like you said uh, Michael you talked to me on uh, the game at Cincinnati and said you know it's maybe best to stay on the field and for moments like that like you mentioned Eric Weddle staying and signing things for the fans there are no (laughs) fans that have a, a more passionate base I think than these Raider fans these fans are out there non-stop at the black hole on the other side of the field you go and they they have the corner called the dark side and you have the uh, guy that's always there with his lightsaber dressed as Darth Vader you have the guy on the flip side uh, next to the black hole that's always there with his Chucky doll and he's dressed like Gruden and you know you have these fans that consistently come that consistently uh, come out to support the team even on a 3-11 and season I still see a lot of the same faces out there and these people don't just leave when the team is down uh, 20 you know, points or what have you to anybody. They're out there from the very beginning to the very end. And we hope to be able to cover that all for you and get some of these fans' thoughts, like you mentioned, on it being, again, possibly the very last game in the uh, Oakland Alameda Coliseum. And for me, I actually grew up in the Bay Area. So I... Uh, I've been there when this stadium, when I was a young kid, and I've been there when, uh, you know, the pre, some of the preseason games and even a, a one regular season game before I actually covered the sport. So for me, I have some sort of attachment as well to this being a possibly a, a last game. And with the Warriors even next door, moving back to San Francisco, I mean, there's a lot going on for this town. So they're really going through it. And I think that you know, hopefully we get the best coverage that we can for you out on reviewjournal.com and really break down not just the game and from a football perspective, Michael, like you mentioned, but also from a fan perspective and hopefully connect and bring everything together for you that you want to see with these guys possibly moving on from Oakland this year. So again, the Broncos right now, um, AFC West team that the Raiders play twice a year. Um, I think they've, if we get back into the football side of it, had their same share of struggles as the Raiders this year. Um, You know, Keith Keenum lost two of his top wide receivers. He lost Emmanuel Sanders to the IR. He lost um, Demarius Thomas. He got traded. You know, so you have him now throwing to Corton Sutton and uh, making the best that he can. I I think he also lost his starting uh, tight end and Jeff Hewerman. So he's somebody that's had to adjust on the fly with this team. But something that the Broncos have always had going for them, Von Miller, He's a, he's a machine, so there's, there's somebody that the Raiders are going to have to look out for. Uh, Michael, what would you say are the keys to this game for the Raiders? Well, I think protecting Derek Carr is, and we talk about it a lot, but for this game, when you're going up against Bradley Chubb, uh, as well as Juan Miller, you know they can attack you from both sides. I, I think how the Raiders can just keep Carr upright, it's been something that obviously they have struggled to do this season going into 2018 Derek had been sacked 36 times the previous two seasons combined never sacked more than 31 over the course of his career he's been sacked 47 times this year with two games to go and he's going to do something 
uh, pretty interesting in that he's thrown for 3,697 yards. So he's 303 away from the first 4,000-yard season of his career. He would become the seventh player in NFL history to pass for more than 4,000 yards and be sacked more than 50 times in the same season. And right now he has a completion percentage of 68.3. He's the first in league history to do so with a completion percentage of 68% or more. And so you look at the six before Derek Carr, who have exceeded you know, 4,000 yards and have exceeded 50 sacks. Carr would be the only player in NFL history to do so and throw 50, 15 interceptions, probably maybe the second player in NFL history to have 4,000 4, yards and over 50 sacks while throwing fewer than 15 interceptions. Aaron Rodgers in 2012 was the other. Uh, when he was sacked 51 times and had 4,300 yards. And so and I think we look at the combination of Derek Carr's production with the lack of protection. It, it's a real reason for hope that's come out of this season is just how Carr has been able to adapt and embrace John Gruden's offense. He's thrown a lot. He had a lot thrown at him. You know, Gruden had a mid-conversation with Derek Carr where he essentially said, I'm going to try to throw a little bit less at you. In terms of bogging down with all these details, I want your talent to take over. And we have seen an adjustment where Derek Carr seems to be playing a bit freer. Uh, he he's, he's said that, and it looks that way on film. And so um, these are positives that will come out of this season when we look back at it. I mean, the Raiders believe they're building a foundation. When you see the way their quarterback play has been this season, I think it's easy to support that given the progress that he's shown despite surrounding issues. And then this offseason coming up will be about surrounding Derek Carr with help so he really can be able to uh, take the next step in his development under Gruden. So um, just keeping him upright for another game, Heidi, that's what they have to do because there's a lot of positives that surround this offense today given all of the issues that it is having. I 100% agree with you on that. And something you said there actually reminded me of a moment with Al Pacino and uh, <laughs> in uh, the movie Any Given Sunday, where uh, he talks to Jamie Foxx and says, remember when you're a kid, just throw it to the Buick. Like, <laughs> I think like that's something I, I think like you said, you're seeing the freeness of Derek Carr and his play. That's something I think that uh, you can see. And he's just throwing it to the Buick. So um, let's hope we do see some more of that let's hope that offensive line protects him michael if you're looking at this game the denver broncos visiting the oakland raiders possibly the last game again in oakland i know i keep saying it but it's a big deal so how do you score this game what is your pick given the lack of protection that just happened a week ago against the cincinnati Bengals, and how just as the Bengals' strength is their front you look at the broncos strength and you could argue even though there's no Geno Atkins in the interior equivalent, uh, what they provide, what they bring from the edge, the Broncos, is such that I have a hard time picking the Raiders to fare better this year, this week than I did last week. So it, because of the questions regarding uh, the Raiders' ability to, to protect Derek Carr, I would go with Broncos, but I think this is going to be an ugly, low-scoring game. I have a hard time seeing either team light up the scoreboard, so... I will say it's going to be a, a, let's call it 17 to 14. Well, let's give Daniel Carlson at least one field goal. Let's call <laughs> it a 20, to, 20 to 17 Broncos win. And, you know, for those Raiders fans who are there, 
you know, you'd hope that they would have something to cheer for along the way, and, and even if that's a win or, or whatever it may be, um, you hope something you know happens on, on Sunday or probably on Monday night that you know they can kind of appreciate and, and bask upon because uh, it will be emotional. Um, but I, I have a, a tough time picking the Raiders just given uh, the lack of protection. I did it last week, and I'm going to do it again this week. I know it's silly, and I think that you're right. I I don't have a lot of faith in the left side of the offensive line particularly, but I'm going to go and pick the Raiders, and I'm going to give them 24 to 17. That's my pick. And that is just pure, I think, based off of them going. I think that they're going to have an extra sense of motivation going, and not that they don't every game, but I think that they're going to want to try to do something for those fans and will play to that very last fourth down attempt, throwing into the end zone with all the glory and leaving like in Rudy with you know people on their shoulders. So I'm I'm going to go big. I'm going to go Raiders win. We'll be back next week to talk about. The Raiders' last game of the season, that one, they're heading into Kansas City to finish out the season. So we'll come back to talk about that and more here on the Vegas Nation podcast. And again, we're available on Apple Podcasts for all episodes of the Vegas Nation. You can subscribe and also find us on ReviewJournal.com. Thank you so much for listening.